Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 80. Yes, that's right. Episode 80. Zero. It is quite amazing that we've reached episode 80. And I got to give a little shout out to my friend, Will Patrick. Will saw that I had posted episode 79 a couple weeks ago, and he sent me a tweet and said, Francisco, really? Episode 79? Holy cow, you're killing it. Well, uh, killing it because all the people that are listening and supporting and also because of all the amazing guests that come on this podcast. Now, I only give Will a shout out for really another reason, because somewhere around 2013, somewhere in that range, maybe 2014, Will suggested I listen to a podcast. It was actually the Ricochet podcast back then. And um, I started listening. I, 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 to my memory, that was the first time I really ever considered the idea of what the heck is a podcast and what am I listening to? Um, and so anyway, that started giving me the idea of, you know, the fact that there's this thing outside the typical radio dial that people can listen to through their phones, mobily. It's You can take it anywhere. You could be on the treadmill at a gym. You could be walking in your neighborhood. You could be in your car, on a train, in a plane, whatever. And you've got all these great um, programs you could listen to. And they are basically no cost other than the fact that you had to pay for this, you know, expensive iPhone or whatever. But um, it's really cool. And so um, I started actually meeting uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs and philanthropists and knowing a lot of independent artists and started thinking, gosh, I wish more people could hear this person's story. And then I would flip on a podcast and uh, I would say, well, wait a second, maybe I could start a podcast. And by the way, I said that around 2014, started the podcast in 2015. And there are now just so many podcasts. There are podcasts for everything. And so I just am really thankful that people choose to listen to this one and uh, hear all the amazing guests that we have on here. Today, you're going to hear a great conversation with a very good friend of mine who I've known for probably about eight years or so, Glenn Gilzine. Glenn became the president and CEO of the Central Florida Urban League back in 2016. And kind of cool is that we both lived in different places when I knew him. I was in Tallahassee. He was in Tampa. And we both moved to Orlando within about the same six months of each other. Actually, I think the same three or four months of each other. And uh, kind of unbeknownst, and uh, started seeing Glenn around here a lot more. And so we've become even better friends and uh, just wanted to actually have him on this podcast for a long time. And we finally made it happen. So you're going to hear a great conversation with him. And please check out all the great work the Central Florida Urban League is doing uh, for the community here in Orlando. And you can also learn about you know different other urban leagues in different localities around the country, all connected through a network of affiliates through the National Urban League. So um, great work that they are doing, particularly for people in uh, you know the African American community, and they've been uh, doing it since 1910. And uh, Glenn took over the Central Florida Urban League four years ago and put so much life into it. It's such a force in the Orlando community now, and he's called upon by all sorts of people, mayors, governors, presidents, you you name it. We're going to hear all about this. Um, also, at the end of this episode, we are going to hear uh, a song by. 
um, our friend Nicholas Roberts. Uh, Nick Roberts was on uh, the Agents of Innovation podcast previously, and today you're going to hear a song from him called Stand on My Shoulders. And I thought that was going to be, you know, really, really great considering, uh, you know, a lot of people stand on the shoulders of the Central Florida Urban League. And so uh, Stand on My Shoulders, a great uh, song by Nicholas Roberts, who's really just been producing uh, so much amazing music for uh, some time. I think when we had him on the podcast, it's been almost two years now, he basically talked to us how he was creating a new song every month. And uh, he's been on a roll, including during this COVID time. Uh, Nick Roberts, check him out. And, um, and also, you can go back to episode 42 to listen to him and the interview we had. So uh, thank you, Nick Roberts, for all you do and all the great music you produce. Um, and, and thank you all for tuning in on all the different podcast apps that are out there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you're on any of these, especially like um, on Apple Podcasts, go in and write a review. Check us out. I mean, the more reviews we get, the better, um, you know, the more people... Uh, we'll, we'll tune in, even if it's a bad review, but hopefully it's a good review. Hopefully it's a nice five-star review and you've written a little review, a little couple sentences about what you like about the podcast because it'll move us up in the charts and that way more people could hear the stories of these great entrepreneurs like Glenn Gilzine. And, um, and anyway, we also appreciate you liking us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, coming to our website where all those things are linked from agentsofinnovation.org. And we got some great things coming your way in the future. So stay tuned. And but thank you so much for tuning in. And now we're going to get to a great interview with my friend, Glenn Gilzine. I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, my friend, Glenn Gilzine. Uh, Glenn, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's truly a pleasure and an honor. Well, uh, for those of you that don't know Glenn Gilzine, Glenn is uh, the president and CEO of the Central Florida Urban League. He's been there since 2016. Um, in 2019, Glenn, I know you were recognized as one of Central Florida's CEOs of the year by the Orlando Business Journal. And I think this is even more notable since I believe this was the first time that this business journal recognized a CEO of a nonprofit organization um, and then in 2018, the National Urban League recognized the Central Florida Urban League as the Urban League Affiliate of the Year. And Glenn, that was all under your leadership. So congratulations for all you've done. Uh, can you tell us, Glenn, a little bit about the history of the Urban League? As I just mentioned, there's the National Urban League, which was founded in 1910, I think, by George Haynes in New York City. Um, what was the original mission of and purpose behind the National Urban League? And then how's the Central Florida Urban League associated with this history and tradition? Absolutely. Uh, but I'll be remiss if I didn't say there's no I in team. So all of those accolades, even with the CEO of the year, if it was a strong team. As I mentioned um, to a couple of friends that uh, if you put Tom Brady as a wide receiver or cornerback, you're not winning championships. So in order for us to win those accolades, it really was a team effort. So kudos to my team. But to your question, uh, the Central Florida Urban League is an affiliate of the National Urban League. The National Urban League was created 110 years ago. 
our brothers and sisters at the NAACP beat us by like three or four months, right? <laughs> they focus on voting rights and civil rights, where we focus on economic justice and civil rights as well. So once we were, we were really birthed out of the um, great migration movement. And what that was is when African-Americans were moving from the South to the North to compete for the jobs in the industrial North, but also to take care of themselves and their families, they realized that segregation and racism has no boundaries. So it was the Urban League that provided the, the skill set and the tools needed in order for African-American families to take care of themselves and also find the quality housing, jobs, health, and educational opportunities. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's how we were founded and we were created. And it really is an honor to, to have this, the ability to work here. Well, you do uh, incredible work there in our community. Uh, you know, here, of course, many people know I live in Orlando as well. And uh, uh, Glenn, is the Central Florida Urban League uh, its own freestanding organization? How is it affiliated with the National Urban League? What's that relationship like? Yeah, great question. So un uh, just like other nonprofits like Goodwill, United Way, we're all built in Habitat for Humanity, who I sit on their board of directors uh, for the state. We're all created as a federated model. And what that means is that the local board of trustees governs the organization. We are all independent 501c3s. However, the national um, affiliates and also charters the different uh, or like local branches, but the term we use is affiliation. Um, and from there, so our affiliate is actually technically the affiliate of the future. And what that means is uh, historically, because of you know, uh, communities and how it was structured, most of these urban league affiliates were city ran or county geographically bound. Ours is more of the future where we're more of a regional base. So we have everything from Polk County, or as great uh, Sheriff Judge would say, Polk County, right? <laughs> yes. All the way to Volusia and we cover seven counties. It's Polk, Orange, Osceola, Lakes, Seminole, Bavard and Volusia. And what's exciting is that uh, we're now on the verge of opening up our satellite office, our first one over in Seminole County in Sanford, followed by Kissimmee, and then organically growing out into those other seven counties. Uh, when I took over, unfortunately, this affiliate was really in shambles. We were $1.2 million in debt, and we were on the verge of being shut down. So it really is an honor to see how the hard work of my, myself and my staff and my board of directors of being able to turn this around. And it was great to have National recognize us. Yeah, well, Glenn, I've watched you and your team uh, grow over the last four years and, you know, not just grow, but really have an impact in the community. You guys are just doing so many things. I want to get back to that in just a moment. But first, since we are talking to such an agent of innovation like you, Glenn, I want to, I want to, let the audience uh, get to know you a little bit and a little bit more about your background and your story. So you and I have a little bit of a, a similar history in terms of where we grew up. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know you in those days. I missed out on, on many, brother. You know, many, many years. You know, brothers from another mother, man. Yeah. You know that. Brothers from another mother. <laughs> That's right. But you and I both grew up in Broward County. And I know you went to, uh, you know, I, actually, I went to Nova Middle School, but I, you went okay. to Nova High School. And um, tell us a little bit about the early days of Glenn Gilzine uh, growing up uh, in, in Broward County. 
So, and this is fun fact, and I don't think anyone knows this except for my family, but my, uh, and this is how you know we're brothers from another mother, right? So my grandfather, his name is, was Nate, his name was uh, Francisco Pablito Gilzine, born in Havana, Cuba. So wow. You, we're really I, my dad was born in Havana, Cuba. So, wow. And, and then he migrated to Jamaica where most of Cubans um, migrated to Jamaica and there was this trade from what my parents have shared with me, where doctors from uh, and, all, and laborers would go from Cuba to Jamaica. And then Jamaica would provide some of the sugar and some of the workers and some of the, some kind of deal. But at the end of the day, I just know that's where grandpa met grandma in Jamaica and then had my dad, Glinton. And then here I am today. So, so wait, um, are you telling me there's some Cuban in you? I'm saying that Afro-Cuban is definitely a, a high percentage, my brother. Wow, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, I've known you now for a while, and I don't know that we've gotten down to this story before. Well, so. you know, we got to leave some great things for the podcast. That's, that's right. what we're doing right now, brother. That's what we're doing. That's right. So, um, uh, Glenn, tell me... A, sharing yeah, about yeah. growing up in South Florida, uh, I was, I, you know, I, one of the cool things... So here's what happens, right? I was on verge of going down a path too many African-American boys follow. And my mom was like, hey, son, wouldn't you like to earn an allowance? Not knowing that those seven words, right, are the ones that actually saved my life from destruction. So she said, in order to earn your allowance, you have to do your homework every day, do your chores and help her sell Mary Kay products. Right. <laughs> so um, a couple months go by and uh, business is booming, making money left and right. Products being sold, but no allowance money. And I said, Mom, what's the deal? Where is this? Where's our where's our arrangement? She said, son, in business, since you're a business partner, we have to have a business meeting. So I said, OK, Mom. So she said, Friday, we'll have our business meeting. Great. So I run home. Friday after school, saying, Mom, ready for our business meeting. She opens up a black composition book that says, Money owed to Glenton, $600. Jumping for joy. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> but then she said, Son, in business, there's a key thing called business expenses. And you see the roof over your head, the food you eat every day, and the clothes on your back, you now owe me $1,000. So I was in the red $400. You see, Francisco, <laughs> The money that my mom used was to help cover both t uh, tuition at a small private school and then also after school tutoring. My dad was the only one that supported a family of six on less than $30,000 a year. So she needed the money in order to help me go from where I needed to go. Sadly, I was on a reading at a second grade level in the seventh grade. And in all honesty, I shouldn't be here. When I look back and I look at all my friends I grew up with, some are in jail, some are dead. So um, if it wasn't for my mom being creative enough to figure out how to get me on track, both academically and behaviorally, and then from there, that helped me get through high school, which helped me get to college, which helped everything fall into place. So that's, that's my upbringing. Well, kudos to your mom. And thank you, Mrs. Gilzine, because uh, we, uh, uh, we're all the beneficiaries of, of your hard work today, Glenn. Glenn, is, is it, is it, would it be accurate to say that your first job was a Mary Kay sales rep? How does, how does that work? <laughs> so you're going to get me into some trouble because on every resume, every application, 
I've always put down my first job was working at Circuit City. But technically, yes, first job was working, uh, helping mom sell Mary Kay products in the community. So that was what, seventh grade? The Mary Kay? Yeah, it was sixth, seventh grade. Yeah. And then when did you get the Circuit City job? And and tell us about that. and and, And tell us some things you've learned from both of those jobs. So I already shared my, the, the learning lesson that mom, you can never fight mom. So when mom says that you owe money, you owe money. That's the Mary Kay job. But in, ser- in all seriousness, with the Mary Kay, it taught me a sense of entrepreneurship from very early on, right? And if you worked hard, you, you would reap the seeds that you sow. So that was a good thing. The Circuit City job was a, an assistant customer service manager um, it was part of Nova's uh, on-the-job training program that allowed you to leave school a little early and get job training while, while still earning uh, high school credits. And I was able to do that my junior year in high school. Um, and what that allowed me to learn is the fundamentals of that the customer is right. And I think those skill sets, both being an entrepreneur, helping my mom sell Mary Kay products, but then going to Circuit City and understanding the fundamentals of customer service, I think those are the two components that have helped me along the way with my career, especially now in the Urban League, because all the work we do is all about customer facing but, and being solution oriented. And um, that's the thing that I'm instilling in my staff and my team. So that's, yeah, those are the two big components. So that's, that's excellent. Glenn, I know after graduating from Nova High School, by the way, really cool program they had there. Is that because Nova's a little bit of an experimental school? Um, what I mean, you don't really see schools doing that too much, right? Partnering with companies to have programs like that. I mean, I would love to see more of that. Yeah. So when we think of school choice, Nova has been a, a school choice or a choice school. <laughs> right. Yeah. From like the seventies. Yeah. Every school in Broward County back in the early eighties and nineties were neighborhood schools, with the exception of Nova, where they accepted students from everywhere in Broward County. And that awarded me the opportunity to do so many great things. Um, I remember uh, going back to my my high school days, one of my good friends, um, uh, David, uh, was like, hey, Glenn, I'm about to do this high school in Israel trip. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. I want to do that too. So then he said, uh, yeah, just tell your mom about it. So I go home and I said, hey, mom, a couple of friends are going to Israel. I want to do high school in Israel, right? And this is what I love about her. She knew we had no money to pay for it. But instead of her saying, no, boy, go sit down somewhere. She said, if you can figure out a way to get it paid for, you can go. Very next day, go back to school, talk to my friend. I said, hey, mom said I can go, but... I got to figure out how I'm going to pay for it. He says, Glenn, why don't you go to the JCC? And I'm scratching my head like, what the heck is a JCC? Jewish Community Center. So I took it on myself. I said, yeah, I'll go. So I went to the local JCC in Broward County. And I remember speaking to the executive director. And I said, wouldn't you love to hear from an African-American perspective of how Israel is and, and, and stuff like that? And the guy looks at me and says, Hmm. And I thought I bombed that whole conversation. Right. Five days later, I get a, a call saying, yeah, we're going to fully fund your trip. Wow. To attend uh, Alexander Musk High School in Israel. And I tell you, that was the most amazing trip 
but it also has prepared me just for life. It was the opportunity to understand like living in a dorm, working independently. Um, like, and, and I, I love sharing my mom's story because my mom dropped out of high school. Like she dropped out just before going into high school, right? And my dad barely finished any college, or I'm sorry, barely finished any high school himself. So I had, I'm, I'm the true definition of a first generation American, right? Yeah, for sure. And realizing how um, they, their love and they're just wanting to make sure that myself and my siblings are fine and taken care of, there's just little things that they don't know about college admissions and how to even balance a checkbook. Their goals was just, hey, let me just make sure that my babies just get a good education, whatever that may look like, and then have a good opportunity so that way they can tr- grow up and just be good citizens. Um, and, and, uh, and that experience in, in Israel, living in Hodesh Sharon, going to the Negev, um, being in uh, Tel Aviv, going to Netanya Beach, right? Going to these areas really transformed me in a way to see life outside of the, the South Florida bubble, right? Right. And, and I, I count those experiences. I, I'm so blessed for them because that's what helped me get to where I am today. That's amazing. What a great uh, story of uh, just having a little initiative. Sometimes just, you know, ask a question, maybe ask uh, and see if somebody will help support you. And, and uh, you just never know. You might get lucky like you did. And they probably saw some great initiative I, uh, in you. And Glenn, how long did you spend in Israel? It was like four months. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, as you know, I took a, a very life impacting trip to Israel uh, two years ago this month, actually. And uh, wow. it was about a, it was a, what was it? About a 10, 10 day trip. And it was amazing. And we got to go all over. I can't imagine being able to spend four months there. That must've been incredible, especially in high school. Right. Yeah. And you know, it was cool. Um, you know, walking down Ben, Ben Yehuda street, um, being in the Galal, um, the King Herod, um, it was just beyond, like, like words can't sum up the experience I have. And one of my goals before I leave the urban league is to set up a fund that can help other African-American students go and experience the same thing I've experienced. That's incredible. Well, for anybody listening now that might be able to help make that happen for Glenn in the Central Florida Urban League, I, I encourage you to contact him because I'm sure there's a lot of great groups that would love to partner with you, Glenn, to, to make that happen. And I highly recommend everybody take a trip to Israel, no matter your faith background. Um, obviously, for someone who is Christian like ourselves or, or Jewish, or you know, I think it's just an incredible place, uh, but uh, obviously very historic and I mean, all the greatest stories in the world come from, from, come from that little, little spot in the world. So uh, let's, uh, let's move on here, Glenn, though. You, you graduated from Nova, went on to the University of South Florida, not located in South Florida. Let's uh, be clear, it's in Tampa. <laughs> um, but uh, I know you, got a, um, you know you did your bachelor's there, and you also did a master's degree in entrepreneurship from USF Center for Entrepreneurship, which also, again, seems like a rare program a lot of times you see a lot of business schools are teaching a lot of great things, but a lot of them don't teach entrepreneurship. Tell us a little bit about your experience at USF, some of the things you studied and how it prepared you for your next steps beyond college. Yeah. So USF, go Bulls, go Bulls. Um, you know, people always say, never say college are your best years of your life, but I, I disagree. I love college. College was great. 
so I studied biomedical science uh, and also obtained a minor in medical physics. Wow. And my plan was to go to medical school and be a doctor. Wow. But then I realized one fundamental fact. I am terrified of blood. Same. When I see it, I cringe. My little sister, when we watch Grey's Anatomy, will cover my eyes because of the fact that I really like get become squirmish. I know I shouldn't say this on a podcast that will go viral, but the truth is the truth, my brother. And the truth shall set you free. So then as I was uh, continuing to study and, I, and then friends, but then I started to watch the Morgan and Morgan commercials. And I was like, do I want to be the new, the new definition of malpractice insurance? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So I asked myself the question, what can I do that can make a long lasting impact in others' lives without being sued? And then I stumbled on that answer. The answer is public policy. And there's a guy that I'm forever grateful for. His name is Dr. Ed Holman. And this brother had, uh, he's from Louisiana, a white guy. I call him a brother because he's the coolest guy ever. And he's an orthopedic surgeon. So I was thinking, okay, I'll hang out with this guy. and He'll be my mentor. He also had a part-time job. He served in the Florida House of Representatives, and he was also the chairman of some major education committees. What I realized uh, working with him is that my love for education policy, that's where it birthed. And ever since then, I've been involved with education policy. So how has biomedical science helped me? It has given me an analytical mind, which allows me to really solve problems or as some friends say, Glenn, you're playing 3D chess. I don't think so. I think there's a guy by the name of Richard Corcoran, who's the commissioner of education. He plays 3D. He's a master of 3D <laughs> chess. But, um, but my, my experience has definitely helped me along the way. And I think the, edu- the entrepreneurship degree has definitely helped me become more um, creative as it relates to solving problems. So I have an analytical mind and then also a creativity mind. And that's how those two degrees have helped me along the way. Well, that's great, Glenn. Um, so, um, what was your first job out of college? First job out of college that was paid is the Florida department of education that was unpaid was working for Senator Mel Martinez. Um, oh, wow. But my, uh, I had the honor and privilege of working in um, Governor Jeb Bush last year of his administration in the education department under the uh, wisdom of Commissioner John Wynn and served for, with, served for three and a half years as a regional field director under Commissioner John Wynn, Janine Bloomberg, and Eric Smith before leaving and going on my own and starting a small nonprofit called Educate Today. And Educate Today was birthed during that time period. We had a ramp up of accountability measures and tons of homework. And uh, I remember my friends right after graduating with my entrepreneurship degree, they wanted to be the next Google. They wanted to be the next Uber, right? That's what that's what they wanted to do. And I said, you guys can go and be like super rich, but I'm going to create the next um, nonprofit. So that way, when you create your billions, 
make sure you have a good social responsibility plan. And I'll be right here <laughs> for you to invest in to help people, right? So I used my experience, my entrepreneurship degree to create a nonprofit, which we were able to grow from three volunteers to what, $8.9 million in 24 months. Wow, that's incredible. And we served 700 kids across the state of Florida. And the concept, oh, and we had 42 employees. It was insane how rapidly we grew. Holy cow. Um, And we were able to get additional funding through the feds and the state to do all of this great work. But the concept was take the Boys and Girls Club model and infuse academics and homework. So that way moms stop complaining. Why is it that you're leaving the Boys and Girls Club at 637 and then coming home and doing two, three hours worth of homework? And the way we did it is through a concept which has now been adopted called project-based learning. And that's where it's it's really disguised learning. So you're still getting homework done and you're still learning, but it's fun and engaging for the child. And then the nonprofit was acquired by a for-profit tutoring company called Quantum Leap out of Jacksonville. They came in, they negotiated with the board of directors and they absorbed everything. And right after, during that time period is when Governor Scott tapped me to go and serve as a school board member in Pinellas County. Uh, My predecessor passed in office, which gave the governor the ability to appoint anyone he so choose. And I was very blessed to have the opportunity to serve the residents of South Pinellas County. And then I know it. So Glenn, you know, it sounds to me like right out of college, your most of your focus has been on education. You were at the department of education. You started a nonprofit called educate today, which served to help uh, these, you know, young people with uh, helping them do you know, their homework and complete some of their tasks, project oriented things. Then you were tapped by uh, then governor Scott, to, to run this uh, or to be, be on the school board for Pinellas County, St. Saint, Saint Petersburg, Clearwater, that whole area. Berg, baby, the Berg. Yeah, and then um, I know you went to, to work for Step Up for Students, right? At what point was that? Yeah, so right before my term ended on the school board, uh, the, good, the good fellas, uh, Doug Tuthill, John Kirtley, um, reached out and asked me to come and head up their advocacy and community affairs department at Step Up. And um, that was exciting. That was three years of just straight excitement. We, cre- we, we were able to get some of the biggest education reform packages through. Um, and the organization grew during that time period because of the legislation from 40,000 students served. And when I left, we were just hovering over 100,000. For, for those not familiar with Step Up for Students, can you tell us uh, what they do? Absolutely. So Step Up for Students is a scholarship, organi- scholarship funding organization where um, they provide now a series of different scholarship um, opportunities for kids who are low income, mostly minority, children who have uh, unique abilities. We don't say special needs, unique abilities. Uh, If you are bullied, um, you can get a scholarship to go to a private school and um, they have now a reading scholarship. And then they recently were able to get legislation passed to get students who have or working class families get access to it, to the scholarships to go to the school of their choice. So uh, my good friend, John Kirtley, realized a massive need that if you were 
if you're affluent, if you have means, then you have the ability to go to any school of your choice, regardless of where you live. So the school choice option that I had in high school in Broward, that's an anomaly. That doesn't happen often, right? You're stuck at going to the school in the neighborhood. I grew up in Lauderdale Lakes, the poorest zip code in Broward County, period. I already told you, I have friends who are in jail and I have guys I grew up with who are not even around anymore. They're six feet down, right? So with that said, John Curley was like, hey, this is not just a Broward County. This is an issue that all minority and low-income kids, low-income kids, minority kids face. So what can he do? So he and Jeb Bush created the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship, which allows corporations to donate every dollar that they donate to a scholarship funding organization, step up for students, 97 cents must be spent on the child's education. So corporations love it because now they're directing their tax dollars that they know will make an impact. In so the, the corporation gets a dollar for dollar tax credit, right? That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. And 97 cents of that dollar must be spent on the child's education. Yeah. And it's, it was a creative uh, solution, too, because I know that a lot of, uh, you know, there's there was a lot of conflict early on when they were starting these school choice programs or, or, or a lot of not conflict, but some controversy of whether this, if the state money, if, the, if it was already in the state coffers and then it went to say a private religious school, some people were complaining, hey, that's the state funding religion, right? Um, yeah. And so John, I think it was John Kirtley sort of had the master yep. plan and said, what if it never gets to the state? What if it's never in right. their treasury? Why don't we just then incentivize corporations to donate and then the, state can then give them a dollar for dollar tax credit. So it's never because every dollar that goes to the government is never the government's dollar to begin with. It came from somebody Correct. else. It came from hardworking Americans. It's, it's, it's that we've all sort of collectively agreed what to spend money on as a society through the democratic process. But this was a great solution so that, you know, really a lot of sides could be, um, you know, uh, alleviated of, of, the, of the conflict there and keeping, you know, church and state separate and all that. Uh, but letting now, how many students is it? It's over a hundred thousand, right? In the state of Florida. Oh, well over that. When I left in 2000. Per year, I'm talking. Uh, yeah. But when I left in 2015, it was just, it was over a hundred thousand. I think lifetime, they've already served well over a million students, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's not very close to it. But to your point, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great. But more importantly, it's the kids who benefit. You right. see, what, what I loved about that job is that my mom had to bamboozle me to get me to get money to pay for my tuition, right? When I was in the middle school years going to a small private school, there was no step up. So now imagine if my mom didn't have the ability or to do that, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. At least now you have step up that can provide for a lot of low income families, mostly minority, have the ability to get a school that fits their child's needs. And that's the key. It's not about what's right, what's wrong. It's about what fits that child and how can that child get the education they need to become a a great citizen. So, Glenn, you obviously grew up in uh, Broward County. You spent some time in the Tampa Bay area. I know you've kind of gone back and forth uh, in Tallahassee with a lot of those uh, programs as well. 2016, you're tapped and recruited to come uh, over to Orlando to lead the Central Florida Urban League. You discussed the situation earlier on the podcast of of the Ur- the Central Florida Urban League being uh, having some financial difficulties, resurrecting that. Um, 
when you came over, what was your vision and strategy uh, to make an impact in this role for the greater Orlando community? Yeah, absolutely. So just a slight correction, right? So 2016 is when we had enough money to pay me as an employee. <laughs> there was no money from when I left Step Up in November of 2015. Okay. July 4th of 2016 is when there was enough money to at least give me a salary and become an official employee. What did you do for uh, six, seven months there, Glenn? I worked my butt off to reduce $1.2 million wow. of debt and I worked, lived off of my own savings. Wow. There was no money to pay anyone. It was that bad. And I remember my mom saying, baby, you left your good paying job to do what now? Yeah. Right? I'd be saying the same thing. That, right. But I was so like, I was so passionate about figuring out a way. You see, working at Step Up, we were able to empower power families and empower children to get the education they deserved, right? But then I realized another obstacle. Yes, I get you to leave the terrible environment you're in, you go into the education of your choice, and now for eight hours you're doing well. But what happens when you have to go back into that environment for 16 hours? Yeah. So, yes, we're helping the child. But if I'm not holistically helping the family, then it's, it's a, you're, you're, you're swimming upstream. So what the Urban League showed me was an opportunity to not only help little Johnny, but simultaneously help mom with the tools she needs so that way she can take care of the family as a whole. And that's why I took the chance, jumped out on faith and uh, started with the Urban League 2015. I'll never forget it. November 9, 2015. And then um, it was July 4th is when my official first day as an employee um, here at the league going forward because we had Independence Day. Yeah, that's it, brother. (laughs) Well, Glenn, what, tell us a little bit about some of the main programs and impacts of the Central Florida Urban League today. You know, this should be, you should be interviewing my mom. She's the innovation of change, right? Because I'm always quoting her, but, uh, but I'll never forget one of the things that she taught me growing up was like, she said, son, ain't nobody going higher if you can't read and ain't nobody going to invest in you if you got no experience. So with my board of directors, we revamped our mission statement to be more meaningful and impactful. And the way we're doing that is now through the three E's is education, employment and entrepreneurship. And we believe the three E's will allow us to really eradicate generational poverty. And again, back to what mom said, if you can't read, nobody's going to hire you. And if you have no experience, what person, bank, institution will invest in your dream? But we do know that the backbone, especially of the African-American communities, is businesses and schools, right? The black business and the school. Those are the two major anchors. So if we're able to figure out how we can uh, increase the number of businesses, increase the number of talented workers, and then more importantly, to get to talented workers, getting kids to learn how to read and, and pass and get through school. That's how we're going to transform communities, right? So to your point, what are the big programs? We have just, this is, this is, this is groundbreaking. Uh-oh, breaking news. Groundbreaking. We just became an approved Microsoft Office Specialist Provider. Wow. We're the first urban league in the entire country to do so. And what that means is, well, a little step back. We realize that if you have this certification, 
you can demand roughly about $17,000 more just off rip. Number two, in today's yeah. COVID world, everything is digital. The people who are severely impacted, who are unemployed due to COVID are, and I've heard this from multiple employers, is are individuals who have no IT computer background at all. So if we can create that platform, create that pipeline, then we have a hand of getting people back to work, but simultaneously being able to have them support their families. That old saying that you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, but you teach a man a fish, he eats for a lifetime, we're taking that to heart. And through yeah. our Microsoft program, we'll be able to do so. We're really excited about it. We anticipate serving well over 100 individuals with this certification and then getting them back to work, gainfully back to work as soon as possible. So they get a uh, certif- So how does that work? If someone's out there listening right now, um, and they want to take part in one of your programs, any one of your programs, but maybe specifically this Microsoft certification. Uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they start the process? And what is this uh, certification? I mean, what does that, what does that actually mean? Is it is it like a, like a? How is that recognized in the in the IT community? So it's an official Microsoft Office specialist. Yeah. So the Microsoft certificate is just that we're one of the administrators that allows you to come in, learn it and take the test. And then you have your full Microsoft um, office in play. So your question, how do they get in touch with us? They can either go to our website, www.cful.org or call us at the office 407-841-7654, 407-841-7654. And uh, once the, the reception answers the phone, just let them know that they're interested in participating in our first class. Our first class kicks off um, in three weeks. So we're really pumped about that. And um, we're just eager to, to help as many people. Um, you know, the old saying is that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And right now you could just sit back or you can say, you know what, we're gonna do something that makes sure that help people, especially knowing that, you know, while people in Washington are figuring out that people in Tallahassee are doing what they do, what can we do on the ground that can be meaningful and impactful? And that's one of the keys going forward. Glenn, what populations do you serve in, in a lot of your programming? So our target community is the is definitely the African-American community because we are one of the silver, oldest civil rights organizations. But we don't discriminate against anyone. Anyone who comes through our doors, if they need services, we're here for them. And if someone who's out there listening that wants to be a part of the Urban League as a supporter, a volunteer, a partner, uh, what are some of the opportunities available for people to do that? And uh, tell us a little bit more about, about how they can get involved. Yeah, so opportunities. We are, all right, I'm going to do another news flash. So we just uh, partnered with the NBA as of today, um, actually wow. tomorrow to host um, COVID testing at our office in Pine Hills. There has been COVID testing in all of Central Florida, except for the ground zero areas of the African-American community. So we're, part, we're excited that the NBA, uh, Volt Health, and Drug Free Sport has stepped up to say, we will provide over a thousand uh, COVID tests, not the ones that go in your nose, the saliva-based, the PCR ones, that you can just, you know, do your thing in a Petri dish and, um, and be able to spit in a Petri dish, I should say, and be able to get your results relatively quickly. 
Um, but in order to partner and get involved and engage our website, we have a get involved tab. You could just go fill out a field or if you call the office, just um, ask the front desk person to ask for me and I can definitely connect them to wherever their heart desires within our mission, which is the three E's. So if someone is interested in getting involved in education, uh, let me know. Employment, we have some opportunities there. They can come in and provide mentoring and as it relates to resume writing or address for success or interview skills. We're getting ready to launch a couple of those workshops, but we would love to have some facilitators. Um, or even on the entrepreneurship side where we're getting ready to launch our, our program called Idea to Profit. So many entrepreneurs have great ideas, but don't know how to put together a business plan. And this is a great way to do so. Lastly, I would say is as it relates to, um, and I shared this uh, with the governor's office, but there was a re there was a white paper that came out um, not too long ago that showed that 41% of minority businesses, specifically African-American businesses, have either closed or will close due to COVID. Mm. Those are true statements. And I just mentioned earlier in the podcast that the anchors, major anchors in the black communities is black businesses and schools. So if we lose black businesses, we can't lose schools, right? So where am I going with that is that our board has really helped us and is stepping up that if there's any entrepreneurs who want to rebuild their business, who've lost it due to COVID, we will provide some mentoring. Or if you're an entrepreneur, how can we help you get your ideas on, uh, on paper through our idea to profit business plan program and then be able to help people that way? So those are how people can get involved. Great. Those are, there's a lot of great options. I know there's a lot, there's people that are really interested in organizations like yours, Glenn, and uh, hopefully they'll, this is a great opportunity for them to get involved. Glenn, on top of everything you're doing, first of all, I should just say this, you and I both moved to Orlando in the same year, almost unbeknownst to one another. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden I was like, Glenn, you're here. Uh, you know, like when I moved here, like, I, cause you were in Tampa for so long and I was in Tallahassee for so long. And uh, so it was really awesome. And uh, we've become even better friends during the last four years since being in Orlando. But also, I've seen and I've witnessed you like just make such a mark on this city in, in a good way, by the way. Um, and I remember when I would start going to events just around town and also and you were popping up and you had your your Urban League lapel pin on and and uh, and I was like, what is what's, I didn't know there was a central Florida urban league and, you know, like there's all these things and you started popping up. I remember, I believe it was 2016. I was just a few months here living here and you had a really great program in downtown Orlando. I think it was at the citrus club and you, it was, it's a great program that I think you still continue today oh, with, yeah. with the police. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I loved it because Especially, and we've seen this in recent months, you know, uh, uh, everybody's, you know, knows, of, of course, the, the George Floyd incident and everything. But, I'll, you know, there's a lot of tension, particularly in the African-American community and with police, right? And it's, it's, it's a tension that goes back, you know, for a long time in this country. But what you, I, you were doing this at least four years ago that it came to my attention, where you were trying to bridge this divide. And the one thing I witnessed at this program where you were giving awards to police officers, law enforcement officials out in the field doing great work. And you had a, a young person, like a high school student or something, who would come up and actually give the award to a specific officer for a specific reason. 
they had a really deep story, a great relationship. Tell us about some of the programs that the Central Florida Urban League has been leading and, and maybe some example stories with some of those kids and those officers. Yeah, so so I'll do a slight correction. We didn't give out those awards. It was oh. the kids who did that. Right. The kids are the ones who selected the law enforcement officer. And, you know, um, it's, 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 if you're not part of the, and I said this earlier in the podcast, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And you hit it on the nail, like the issue between the black community and law enforcement predates us, right, living. Um, so I remember polling a couple of kids and talking to them and I said, tell me, what do you hear? What's your thing about law enforcement? Where, where, what's the, what's the beef as they would say, as the kids would say. And, um, and some of them said, you know, we don't have no beef. That's not all of us. Just so, because what you see in the media doesn't mean that that's what I believe in. So I said, okay, so what can we do to, 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 to change the stereotype? It's like, why don't we give them awards? I said, okay, let's do it. So this was really a brainchild of the late Deborah Clayton and a group of students who sat in that conversation we had. And we have recently renamed the event after Lieutenant Clayton. Uh, and it's called the Lieutenant Clayton Honoring Our Heroes Luncheon. And we do it every summer. We didn't do it this summer, one, because of COVID, but then two, um, her murderer is on trial and mm -hmm. that trial has just started and the widower deborah clayton's widower said please let's get through the trial first so he wants us to bring it back next year but for right now just let's get through that and um you know i god bless deborah um you could probably hear it in my voice but she was one of the very first people to take me in and she said hey guy she said, hey, Glenn, you got a funny last name, but you know what? I need you to succeed because we need to figure out a way to bridge the gap between law enforcement and the community. At the end of the day, if something goes wrong, who are you calling 911? So, but we need to work together. And most of these individuals in the community uh, don't realize that some of these law enforcement members live here in the community too. I remember one guy, Mr. Williams, saying, hey, I didn't know Officer Jackson's son played peewee football with my son. And what that did, it built a relationship um, by just being able to connect them. So one of the things we did as well was um, coffee with a cop. I think that was my very first event on the job. And it was no agenda, no hidden uh, conversations or speeches. Just come to McDonald's. And we'll give you free coffee and there'll be some law enforcement there. And we could just have a frank conversation. And we did that a number of times, which ultimately led into when um, then Sheriff Demings was able to release a report that showed that crime was down, especially in Pine Hills. And we attribute that, he attribute that to some of our efforts as well. But again, it's just, it's just going back to the very beginning, using entrepreneurship skills, right? Analytical skills, using customer service jobs, being an entrepreneur selling Mary Kay, using all of that experience to a social service job that can make an impact in the lives of so many. And we're so grateful for that. Um, well, you've, uh, you've brought a lot of innovation to the nonprofit space uh, with the Central Florida Urban League. And I remember being at the lunch in 2016 or the breakfast actually at the, in 2016 uh, where um, uh, 
Officer Clayton, Deborah Clayton, was honored as one of the officers. And I think it was it was what the next year that that she was killed in the line of duty. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was it was very sad to hear that. But, um, you know, she believed in you and what you're doing. And um, it's it's also just emblematic of the fact that, you know, these people are in law enforcement. Many of them are are heroes. Um, They're also right there in the lives of these kids. Um, who think so highly of them, um, and and they're you know they're they're role models in, in many ways, but they're right there in the line of duty. We oftentimes forget that, and unfortunately, yeah. you know, um, you know things uh, didn't go go too well there. But but Glenn, um, you know, you've done a, a really great job, and as I mentioned, uh, you're you're now recognized uh, as a go-to leader in Orlando and on a whole host of issues. I know you're called upon by. Uh, the mayor here, by the way, when I was at that first breakfast, um, as you mentioned, it was then, uh, what was his role? Chief of police, uh, Jerry Demings. Sher- no, sheriff. Sheriff. He sheriff. sheriff. He was the sheriff. And anyway, by the way, I was kind of a newbie to Orlando. I literally been living here like two months. And you said, Cisco, come to this breakfast. I said, I'll be there. No, you I mean was- the lunch? Cause we did do a breakfast. We did do a breakfast in 17, but we did a lunch in 16. Well, whatever it was, I remember being there at the Citrus Club and you, you assigned me to some table. I sat down. I turned to the woman next to me and, and her young staffer. And she asked me what I did and where I worked. And I told her. And then I said, what do you do? Well, She's running for Congress. This was Val Demings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember and, that. And then I turn over two seats over and I talk to the other gentleman. And obviously he's dressed in law enforcement. And this was Jerry Demings. And I, by the <laughs> way, had no idea they were married. They were sitting a few seats apart. <laughs> so I, I actually was like, it was so embar- I was so embarrassed because obviously like everybody there knows who they are. And um, I thought, Oh, is this her brother? You know, because <laughs> they had the same last name, but they were like, oh, you know, you know, he was, they were just totally on different planes. Uh, so anyway, it was so funny. So now Jerry Demings is the mayor of Orange County. Yeah. Val Demings is a Congresswoman. She was just in the short list uh, yeah. the, for the vice president of the United States. So, but I have a cool picture with them. And I think with you, maybe yeah. I'll put it, put it up here in the blog at some point. Uh, what, what, so uh, after this podcast, Glenn, we write an article. It goes up at agentsofinnovation.org and throw right. some good, cool pictures. So if I could find that picture, maybe I'll throw it in there. But, you know, in addition to being viewed by the local leadership here, um, you know, I know also, you, you know, you mentioned being appointed to the school board by Rick Scott. You also in 2019 were appointed to the Florida Commission of Ethics by Governor Ron DeSantis. Yeah. And also previously under Rick Scott's administration, you were also appointed to the board of trustees at Florida A&M University. And Rattlers, also, baby. Rattlers. Yeah. Also, you were on the appointed to the Ninth Circuit Judicial Nominating Commission. I didn't even know they let non-lawyers on that. Uh, <laughs> but tell us, uh, if you would, a little bit about some of, I mean, you're on so many, you're, I know you're on other nonprofit boards as well. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you sleep, Glenn? Like, what do you? So I was worried where you were going to go with all of this. It sounded like you were going to say, so do you really work? Because we have a mutual friend named Sonny well, who always calls me and harasses me. Sonny Are actually asked me that. No, I, so Sonny wants to know if you work. I want to know if you sleep. No. no there's one thing you ain't doing. 
<laughs> well, I'm definitely working because that's the only way you keep this thing afloat, right? Uh, so yes, I am not sleeping. There's very, very little bit, little sleep I have, but um, I've, I have a great team now and I, I'm learning how to delegate. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting some work-life balance as of late. After I do this, I'm going to go for a nice run. So yeah, I, I, I have now adjusted uh, my behaviors five years in to make sure that there's a good work-life balance to prevent burnout. But it really is humbling. And, and thank you for sharing those, those accolades and those honors. But it really is um, a humbling experience to know that other leaders reach out and, and ask for advice or ask to serve. Um, and I, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest honors. And uh, I'm grateful for both governors um, for the opportunity to serve the citizens of Florida. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm just grateful. I'm, it's, a, it's truly humbling. It truly is humbling. Because remember, as I started off, right, my mom didn't go to high school. My dad dropped out of high school, right? And, if, and that's what makes this country so great, right? This is truly, I am, I am a product of the American dream. And I'm just touching the iceberg, the tip of it. There's so much more for me to do and accomplish. And with this organization, so much more that we have to make an impact. And that's what truly America is all about. And, and that's what's so great about this country. So, it's Well, just- you know, you're, you mentioned your mom before and how impactful she is. I mean, you mentioned a lot of the programs that you're doing, the literacy programs, the job training programs, and that all started because your mom had such an influence on you on that. And now you're going out. So, you know, for all people out there, I mean, you're the first entrepreneurship responsibility for a lot of people is your kids you know yeah. how how are you how are you taking that job seriously that's a that's a really important point not to neglect you know my parents also do not have college degrees they both finished high school but uh you know they were very focused on their kids and our yeah. success and and not and, you know and success can mean a lot of things you know but that you have good values that you work hard you know, uh, and things like that. And so I think that's, that's important. And also I come from, you know, one of my parents is an immigrant as well. And so I think, you know, kind of seeing the, his family's life coming here and all the hard work and, and they knew that this country presented so many opportunities that they didn't have and that, or that opportunities they lost, frankly, in Cuba, uh, as well. So now Glenn, in addition to local, in addition to state, you've, the, you and the Central Florida Urban League, by the way, one thing I want to just mention uh, is it, you're really an example of how an innovative individual can come in and really just uh, take an organization with a long history and a brand and even elevate that brand because you've done that. And you've done it not because you've spent a lot of money on PR. I mean, you've literally done the hard work. You've been out in the community. You've, you know, you created all these innovative programs. You've now been... Um, you know, gotten the attention of the White House because I know I was at a, an event, uh, I think it was last fall, where uh, Ashley Bell, who is, oh, yeah. uh, what is, what is his role? He's a White House policy advisor for the Opportunity Zones, right? And, and, and tell and us a little bit about that. The, yeah, and he also serves as the regional administrator for the Small Business Administration too. Um, uh, but that event was after uh, President Trump and the uh, Congress uh, passed the tax 
cut of what was that 2017 or yeah 18? i think so mm -hmm. 17 right 17 um, part of that tax cut package senator tim scott from south carolina was able to um, file an amendment to allow the creation of opportunity zones and the concept behind it is how could we um, incentivize private capital into underserved communities um, by similar, very similar to the whole step of a student's program, right? Corporation, you owe X, but if you give it to step of a student's or scholarship funding organization and 97 cents is spent on a child's education, you don't have to pay the tax anymore, right? Same concept with opportunity zones, which um, not only spurred real estate investment, but the great thing about what Ashley Bell shared with us, is it also allows for direct capital into minority, specifically African-American businesses that normally would not get access to capital through traditional marketing mark, markets. So very grateful for um, the president, Ashley Bell, the White House for putting on that event and what made that event really great. And thank you for bringing that up. But we signed an agreement with SBA where we're one of the first urban leagues in the country that has a, a signed agreement with SBA to help small minority businesses, African-American businesses with the tools they need in order to get an SBA loan through normal markets. So that's really exciting. Yeah, so the first urban league in the country to have that agreement, I guess uh, the SBA is uh, a federal program right? Federal agency. Federal right? agency. Yeah. yeah. It's an agency. So that's, that's fantastic. And, uh, and uh, have you seen uh, anything in action yet here in central Florida since that has gone into effect? Yeah. So we were on track to really knock it out the park. And then there's a thing called COVID-19 <laughs> occurred and kind of threw us a loop. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I know. Right. So, yeah. but um, part of what I mentioned earlier about the idea to profit, that's going to get ready to relaunch. So we anticipate doing a, re, a reboot of this uh, with our partnership with SBA within the next uh, month and a half. Great. Especially now, especially with businesses that have either closed that really needed to rework their, their business plan and help them to the point where they can be more sustainable. I mean, you and I are both market uh, free market guys. So we understand that, oh, snap. I just realized the computer was moving a little bit. <laughs> we got you. That's, but, probably, um, that's probably the signal like that we need to wrap the interview up, right? It's, I'll, 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 I'll stop being long. I need to go for my run, quick. Francisco. But, um, but what we realized with um, being free market guys, we understand that there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. Um, so the question is, okay, yeah, you may take a loss, but don't give up. So let's figure out where you went wrong Let's give you some tools so that way you can come out being more stronger going forward. And that's where we see our idea to profit is. It's not to pour a Band-Aid on something that was already going to crash and burn, but how can we help you innovate and become better as you go through this new post-COVID world that we live in going forward? Well, there's going to be a need to be a lot of help and advisement and guidance for that because obviously a lot of uh, businesses all across the board are struggling. And I know in minority communities, uh, probably even more so. So, uh, Glenn, as we kind of close out this uh, interview, I want to just ask you a couple last uh, questions here, uh, especially for a lot of the, the people listening, whether it's young people or whether it's people in the middle of their careers, um, you know, I want to want to get your understanding of why is entrepreneurship important, but also maybe there's somebody out there right now listening 
Maybe they live in a struggling community. Maybe they come from a working class family like yourself. Uh, maybe they only have one parent, you know. Uh, maybe it's a high school student or even a young adult, as I mentioned. Uh, what advice would you give them about getting ahead or maybe even about considering being an entrepreneur? Like, what are some of the actionable steps they could take? Mm. Mm. That's a great question, Cisco. Um, so, dream big. Know that you will get knocked down. If, if, and what's interesting is people see all these wins. They don't see all the failures. Right. All of the hard work and the struggle and, and, the, and the challenges. I will share this one thing. I remember. So here's the fundamental question with the Urban League when I took over. I said, this is a 100 then. It was 109-year-old, but it's 110 years now. I said, how do you make a 110-year, 109-year-old organization relevant in the 21st century? All right? Because if it was doing great, some of these chronic problems that we have would be eradicated. Right. So evidently, it's not working, right? So then I remember going to funders and pitching the idea and telling them this new, fun, integrated guy. And you know how many people said no? I had well over a hundred proposals that got denied. Wow. Before I got my first proposal accepted and it was only for $5,000. Mind you, I had a $1.2 million cloud hovering over me, man. So what I would say to any entrepreneur is just, it's not gonna be easy, but trust me, if you stick with it and you work hard, it will pay off. And, 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 it, and people will see that you've overcome the odds and the obstacles and whatever you're doing, if it's community service, social services like I'm in, then the reward there is the hundreds and thousands of people that you transform their lives, right? Yeah. If you're in business, you still transform people live just through capitalism, right? right? Think about all the hundreds of thousands of people you can employ once your business gets off the ground, right? Because that's the, that's the beautiful thing about America. And so, yeah, I, we need more entrepreneurs to get out there. Go ahead, try. If you're young, try, 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 but don't give up. I remember Thomas Edison, it was his 1,001 try before he figured out the light bulb. It yeah. was Jackie Robinson that everybody here, um, people don't know that Jackie Robinson had the most strikeouts but people only remember his home runs, right? right? So what I would tell anyone, the best piece of advice, don't give up, keep trying. Keep trying because it will pay off and you will be so happy that you didn't give up. Well, that is excellent advice. You know, Glenn, there's a movie I watched a couple years ago. I don't know if you saw it. I believe you can find it on Netflix now. It's called Walt Before Mickey. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> it's a fantastic film. And in fact, uh, Somebody from Central Florida, Armando Gutierrez, was behind it. I think he's, a, he's actually accident as well. And, uh, but anyway, I saw this, and, you know, we both live in Orlando. Uh, Walt Disney World uh, brings, well, they're, they're part of why 75 million people every year come just to Orlando. I mean, no, number one vacation spot in the world, right? And you see this movie. What's cool about this movie is the entire movie is the young Walt as an artist, as an entrepreneur, 
failure after failure after failure after failure. And it's so frustrating, right? And he's, he fails for like how many times and his, you know, his, his little thing doesn't get picked up or whatever. And the very end of the movie, it ends with him after the last time being rejected and, and not getting, it ends with him going back to the, to the artwork, to the artboard and starting to draw what was Mickey Mouse. And that's how the movie ends. And I just gave away the whole movie, but I didn't really, everybody knows the story after Mickey Mouse, right? right so there was right. no need for that movie to continue because we all know the story. And I think about that because, I mean, think about, I mean, all the millions and millions and millions of lives that are made happier because of what Walt Disney World and Walt Disney Productions and everything produces. Now what? I mean, 60 years or so, uh, maybe 70, 60, 70 years after Walt drew Mickey Mouse, right? right? Actually, we're going back 90 years. It was like in the 1930s. He created the parks, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So, um, and just all the businesses that surround that too, not just yep. Walt Disney, right? And, yep. and you think, what if that guy gave up, you know? Right. A lot of happiness, a lot of jobs. Uh, Orlando wouldn't be what it is today. Uh, not even close. So, even so close. look, that's a, that's a special story. That's a once, that's a, that's a special once in a lifetime story. But I hope that that story, and, and for those that may go check out that movie, uh, that that inspires them not to give up and, uh, we've been listening now to Glenn for a little over an hour, probably, and telling his story. And I hope that this story, this innovator right here in Central Florida, um, uh, inspires people not to give up. And if you are somebody who's in the Central Florida area and can benefit from Glenn's, uh, you know, by, from the Central Florida Urban League's um, services or want to connect with Glenn, you could do that. CFUL.org uh, stands for Central Florida Urban League, CFUL.org. And also, Maybe you're a partner, maybe you're a business and you want to help uh, partner with them. You know, this is a great organization. I've watched Glenn and the organization grow over the last four years and they, they got the sky's the limit with everything they're doing. So Glenn, thanks for joining us at the Agents of Innovation podcast. And, and quite frankly, so as somebody who lives in Orlando, thanks for all you do for our community. Uh, just a, a great pleasure. Thank you, Cisco, for the opportunity to share my story. And it truly is an honor and I'm so grateful. So thank you. Thank you, Glenn. I want to ride a novel. I want to start a band. I want to leave town as fast as I can. I want to feel the rain in Central Park. And every ounce of blood you have in your heart. So Growing up too fast